16. Do we have that? Awesome. I didn't even ask him. My husband is so good. All right. So it says, <clears throat> have we not, have not we all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you've broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and in spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. And so I think we have to, we've been def defining covenant, but I think it's a good time to stop and say, what is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement that you make, but more than an agreement. I think we think of agreements as like contracts. If I make a contract with Beth and she holds up her end, then I'll hold up my end. But if she doesn't hold up her end, then I won't either. That's kind of how we make contracts or agreements. A covenant, covenant is a vow that no matter what she does, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And so it's a little bit deeper. That's kind of the definition of covenant. And so then we have to think, okay, that's what covenant is. What's the covenant that the Israelites are breaking? What is the covenant between God and the Israelites and also us then? What is that covenant? So the covenant of God between the Israelites and further to us is that we would obey what God says and he would bless us, we would be his people, and through us, blessing would come. God makes multiple covenants. So if you look through the Old Testament, there's about 20 major covenants that, that you can read that God makes to people. But the overarching covenant is pretty much the same every time. He makes a covenant to Noah that he's not going to destroy the earth again um, by flood. He makes a covenant to Moses whenever he gives Moses the stone tablets and tells him to obey the law. He makes a covenant to uh, Abraham whenever he tells him that he's going to be the father of many nations. But the overarching covenant, they all pretty much say the same thing. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will do what I say, and I will bless you. And so I think the word obedience kind of gives us a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling because it comes with connotations that were never really intended. So obedience to God, the reason that we would be obedient to God is out of love. It's not that he's some king or ruler who comes and says, you have to jump through these hoops because I said so. It's that God knows the full picture of life. He knows what's inside of us. He knows what's coming ahead. It's like a parent. If a kid, if one of my kids is playing with a ball in the parking lot down here, this like actually happened. 
um, playing with the ball and it goes across the street and the kid thinks, oh, I got to go get my ball. The kid's only looking at the ball, but maybe as the parent, I see that there's a car coming. This happened when Zane was here. He's nodding because he was very nervous. <laughs> I see that there's a car coming, but the kid is only looking at what they want. That's like God. God sees the full picture. And so I would say, no, don't go. Please be obedient to me because I need you to trust me that I see more than you do. And so that's what I mean when I say that we would be obedient to God. It comes out of trust that he sees more, that he knows more, and that he loves us, that he has a good plan for us. So that's the covenant that God has with the Israelites, that we would be obedient to him because we trust him, because we know that he loves us, and that he would bless us and bless the world through us. And so sinful behavior which is what Malachi keeps talking about, is really just an indication that you've broken covenant in your heart already. That's how we see what's happening. We can't see. You can't see inside of my heart. Sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you're around people and you're like, nope. <laughs> Sometimes you can feel it, but the way that you know that I'm not trusting God is that I do things that are disobedient to God. Right? And so Malachi comes and he combats those behaviors over and over again. And so for the last two weeks that we've been in Malachi, we've talked about some of those things. And I think in the story that I was talking about with the girl who didn't want to do what was right, we see that in her. She just decided she would do her own thing. And unfortunately, the lesson that was taught her is that that's okay. That's not a problem. But that's not the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who sees the big picture and says, that's really not good for you. That is indicating that your heart is not trusting me and that you can't live a full life if your heart doesn't trust me. So rather than just saying, okay, I see that you're making sacrifices. They're not the right kind of sacrifice and you're kind of giving me the leftovers. That's fine. God says, no, there's something wrong in your heart. I have to address this. Because God wants the best for each of us. He's a loving dad who wants us to live the fullest life we can. And so he sends Malachi to tell them what you're doing is not right. He says you're breaking covenant with God. And so the part that Tyler talked about last week was mostly about animal sacrifices. Like I talked about, you know, they're not bringing God their best. They're bringing God the blind animals, the lame animals, just kind of going through the motions of religion. And so the part that I'm going to talk about today is that the Israelites were breaking covenant with God by not honoring God in their marriages. And there are, so in verses 10 through 16, that's what he says. You're breaking covenant with God by not honoring God in your marriages. And there are two ways that Malachi points out. The first way is by marrying people of foreign gods. And so when you think about what marriage is, I have to tell you, one of the biggest jobs that Derek has as my husband is to drag me to Jesus consistently. And so if I am not doing the right thing, if I am sinning toward him or to other people, if there's something that I am not doing, it is his job to say, oh, we got to go see Jesus by praying for me, by praying with me, by showing me the scripture and saying, look, this isn't right. That's his job as a spouse, the person that you married, that's their job to do that. And so in order to do that well, we have to be playing by the same rule book. If I am a follower of the God of the Bible, and so the Bible is my rule book, but Derek is a follower of something else, how is he going to call me out based on his rules or based on mine? 
And so that's why, one of the reasons why it's so important that the Israelites didn't intermarry with people who had different religions because we need to be playing by the same rule book if we're going to hold each other accountable. So not only that, but marriage is designed to make two people into one person. Like that's the design of marriage. And specifically sex does that. And that's why we shouldn't have sex out of marriage because that commitment is designed to mash you together. And so whenever we do it without the legal commitment or the commitment in ourselves to say, yes, I'm going to honor you, all the things that we do in marriage, the mashing still happens. God knows that's not good for us. It's not that he's a ruler who just wants you to jump through hoops. It's that he's a God who knows what's best for you. Marriage is specifically designed to do that, to say, everything that's in you, I'm going to take in me and put together with everything that's in me. So that means your gifting, your debt, your character flaws, your calling, all of those things when you're married, are supposed to mesh together. And so if I would marry someone who has something else at the core of who they are, we all run all of our decisions and our feelings and the things that we do through a grid of who would this serve? Mine is Jesus. Will this serve Jesus? Is this what Jesus would have me do? Would this please Jesus? If it's yes, then I do it. If it's not, then I don't. But if if the person that I'm marrying has something else at that core, then as we mesh together, you tracking with me? As we mesh together, the only thing that that can do to my Jesus core is pollute it. Does that make sense? Because they're coming together. And so maybe, maybe the person that I'm marrying doesn't believe in God, but we all serve something. Sometimes people serve success. And that's the grid they run everything to. Is this going to make me more successful or is it not? If it is, then I'll do it. And if not, then I won't. So you serve the God of success. Is this going to make me richer? Is this going to give me more money? If it is, then I'll do it. If not, then I won't. So that's their God. Even sometimes we meet people who make the other person their God. You know, is this going to make Derek happy if I do it? If it is, then I'll do it. And if not, then I won't. That is dangerous. That's not a good place to be. And I confess that whenever Derek and I first got married, he was my God, for sure. And God ripped that away from me, thank God. (laughs) But it was painful, I'm telling you. And so it sounds nice to think that someone would be devoted, completely devoted to you, but it's yucky. They can't be your God. They can't save you. They can't heal you. Your identity needs to come from something else. And so that's what marriage is designed to do, to put people together. And so Malachi is saying, if you're marrying someone who is completely devoted to something else, if it's not the God of the Bible, it is something else, then that's not going to be good for you as you mesh together. All it can do is decrease the amount of devotion that you have because they don't know how to push you toward Jesus or the God of the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay. And so Malachi is not saying that those people are bad. He's not saying that people who serve foreign gods are not bad at all. Actually, it's the Israelites' job to reflect God to them so that they would want God, but he's saying don't marry them. So it's an interesting distinction. He's not saying they're bad at all. 
And so I think of it as like, I'm a condiment girl. Like some foods that I eat, I eat just for the condiments, <laughs> like as a vehicle for the sauce. I love sauces. And so I think of it as like mixing ranch dressing and barbecue sauce, which is a great mashup, I would say. Um, but anyway, as you mix them, you can kind of see them swirling together. And maybe if I wanted to, I could take out a little bit of the barbecue sauce or a little bit of the ranch dressing. But as it mixes, it becomes something completely other than what the other two were before. Does that make sense? It has characteristics of each one, but it's something different and you can't take them apart. So that's the first way that Malachi says that they're not honoring God in their marriages. <clears throat> and the second is by not honoring um, their previous marriage covenant. And so the purpose of marriage is to reflect that covenant that I talked about earlier, the covenant that God has with the Israelites and with humanity. Marriage is to reflect that love the kind of love that God has for us that's um, self-sacrificing and that um, constantly gives. That's what the purpose of marriage is. And so in chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, it says, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and in spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. And I'll be honest, when I realized that I had to talk about divorce, I was not happy about that. <laughs> I was a little bit nervous because I think most of us in this room have been touched by divorce. We all know someone who's been divorced. Some people in this room have been. And so I never, ever want people to feel any judgment or condemnation in anything that's said here. And so I know that it can be a touchy subject. But the beauty is that I know that I'm not allowed to shield myself from what in the Bible affects me. And as a pastor, I'm not allowed to shield you from the word of God. And so I won't. And the beautiful thing is that as I was praying over this and just really working through that with God, God, I don't, I don't want people to mishear me. I don't want to be misunderstood. The verses right previous to the part that we're talking about is talking about um, the priests and how the priest had um, dealt with partiality in the law. And it says, I'm going to read it to you because it shook me. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. And so that was just the little kick I needed for God to be like, is that what you want? <laughs> and I don't. So as we're thinking about Malachi and what he's saying, he's talking over and over again. This is just one more example of how he's talking about Israel breaking faith with each other and with God, breaking um, covenant with God. And so as we think about the design of marriage that we just talked about, two people coming together and meshing to make one person. Think about what that means if this newly made person separates. Have you ever used Elmer's glue? I feel like most of us have probably used Elmer's glue. You ate it? Gosh, I wish I had known that. Ate it, yeah, ate it. I think most people didn't eat it. I don't know, that's why I like to live in the understanding of. Anyway, so <laughs> what I did with Elmer's glue as a kid is that I would like spread it on my hand and let it dry 
and then you would peel it off and pretend like, hey, look, and pretend like it's your skin. Um, that's every time I think of Elmer's glue, that's what I think of. But something else that I did with Elmer's glue in elementary school is that if I would make like a piece of art that I really thought was special, that I needed to have displayed, I would take a smaller piece of paper and glue it to a bigger piece of paper like this. So there was like a frame, like this would be a different color. And then I would display it. Like this is my really special piece of art that I have made framed and now you can see it. And I think that's kind of what we do whenever we get married. We say, okay, the covenant between God and Israel, we're going to be really official about this. We're going to like dress up. We're going to invite all, all of our friends. We're going to order food that's too expensive and do all this stuff. That's what we're going to, we're going to put on display the covenant between God and Israel because that's what marriage is designed to do. Maybe you didn't intend to do that. <laughs> when you got married, that's God's intention for marriage. And so what happens if after a year, or even really the next day, after the glue has dried, and I decide I don't want a blue frame anymore, and I begin to pull that piece of paper off, what happens? Anybody? It rips. Yeah. And I think marriage is like that. I think anyone who's been touched by divorce would say that it rips, that it tears, that it causes pain. God knows that. God doesn't want that for you. And I think I do want to say that there are all different reasons that people get divorced. And I'm not standing up here to say this is right and this one's wrong. And that's, that's a discussion and a, a prayerful thing that needs to happen. That's not where I could do that here and now. Um, and I also know there are people who have been handed divorce that have not chosen divorce, but have been handed it by the other person. And so I think that we need to understand that and what's happening here. What Malachi is saying is that it hurts. God knows that it hurts. He sees that it hurts. It hurts everybody that it affects. The people who had been in the marriage, the children, the friends who don't know who to befriend or what to do, it hurts everybody. And so when we break faith, as the Bible says, um, when we act unjustly against each other and we make break vows that we made to each other, we break covenant not only with that person, but with God. And people see that. But this is symptom of a heart issue. All of the behavior that I've talked about, as I said earlier, all of these things are symptoms of what's going on in your heart. It's just what we see. We don't necessarily see what's going on in your heart, but we can see your behavior. And so right on the heels of what Malachi says about divorce, he says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence and with his garment. And so he seems to be talking about the heart issue, like why that happens and what happens there. He's talking about hiding. God hates it when people hide and when they cover themselves from him and from other people. And as Tyler talked about last week, that's a form of distrust. Like that's showing that we don't trust God when we hide from him. If we look way back into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, isn't that what they did? They hid. They knew that they had done something wrong, and they didn't trust that God would receive them. They hid. And so I think that Malachi is kind of cluing us in here 
to the heart issue of all of the things that he tells Israel that they're doing wrong. It's a distrust of God, just like Tyler said last week. And so in both of the ways that Malachi says that the Israelites are not, are breaking covenant based on their marriage, um, are just ways that they decided they were going to do what they wanted. They weren't going to obey what God said, and they knew what God said. They weren't going to obey. They were just going to do their own way and do their own thing. They had been waiting for God to come, and he didn't show up the way they thought he would. And so they said, well, I guess we're going to have to make our own way, or we'll do just enough. We'll bring you sacrifices, but it doesn't really matter because you're not holding up your end anyway. So I wonder if there are places in our lives where we do that, where we think, hmm, does it really matter if I do it God's way? Do I really trust God to show up in this? Am I going to wait trusting that God loves me and knows me and has my best interest in mind? Maybe it's in your marriage that you have trouble trusting God. Maybe it's in a dating relationship where you would say, um, okay, I know that I'm serving Jesus, and this person, they say they believe in God. So that's something, right? So we can, we can enter in relationship, but I would say that's not really God's best for you. Maybe it's a friend or someone that you know who you feel like God has called you to, to minister to, or um, even just to help out, but you think, man, that person might be a difficult person. It might not go well for me. So I'm just not going to do what God's asking me to do here. I'm going to make myself comfortable or find my own way. Or maybe it's a ministry that God has called you to, something that God has really laid on your heart that you have a passion for. And I would say that if there's something that you really feel deep in your heart, an injustice that you see that needs to be fixed or something you're really passionate about, generally that equates calling. If there's something inside of you that you really feel like needs to be fixed, I would say that's probably God calling you to be a conduit of fixing it. It's not always that we bring things to the pastor and say, this needs to be fixed. Often that's God calling you to help fix it. And so maybe there's something that God really is stirring in your heart, but you think, man, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength or equipping. But if God's calling you, he will bring all of that along. So where are the places? I'd invite you to kind of look in your heart and say, where are the places where I'm not sure I'm really trusting God, where God has asked me to do something, and I'm not sure that I trust him for the outcome. The beauty is the outcome is not on you. Praise Jesus. He asked me to do really hard things all the time. (laughs) And I'm so thankful that it's not up to me to make it happen, that it's up to me to say, yes, I will do it, even if I don't want to, even if I'm crying while I'm doing it. He's always, he's so good. And so Malachi comes to tell the Israelites, you've chosen to distrust God. You've chosen to trust yourselves over God. You've chosen these kind of religious practices instead of a relationship with God. All of these things are an indication of your heart issue. You don't trust God. That's what Malachi is sent to tell them. And the beautiful thing is that we know the end of the story. 
all throughout the Bible, I think in the Old Testament, again in the New Testament, I think we see this in our lives, God keeps coming back for his people. He's not a God who says, okay, well, you blew it. See ya. Over and over again, he sends prophets in the Old Testament. He sends the Holy Spirit conviction now to say, this isn't right. I love you. I want you with me. Let's deal with this. I want all of your heart, every single bit of it. Let's deal with this. He's a good dad. He doesn't just let us coast by because he knows it's not good for us. And he knows it's not the best for us. So at the end of the story, I mean, and we know, the old, this Malachi was written before Jesus came. So they didn't see the fulfillment. We know more um, about how that works and how that happens. And so all of the things that we distrust God with, he says, would you give that to me? Because I know what to do with it. I see all and I know all and I know your heart and I know the pain in your heart. Would you give it to me? Would you give it to me? Because I'll take it and I'll heal it. He says, I love you. All the ripping and running and hiding, I'll restore it and redeem it. 